Hello. Hello. We're back again. Back episode again. three. Yeah, episode three. Left for Japan. Left for Japan. Left for Japan. Podcast. Yep. I'm the girl of the podcast. I'm the guy of the podcast. So shall we start right in? All right, let's get right in. Well, we have a snack, so let's get right into our snack. Okay. So this week, we have Haichu. Supaichu. Supaichu. Just pun on haichu, right? Yeah. Supai means sour. Very good. There you go. I was waiting for a Japanese expert to weigh in. All right, so this is lemon. Umasupai lemon. Tasty, tasty sour lemon. So you haven't tried any of these yet. I have tried one of these already myself. I guess I'll have another one. And you can, uh, you can try and see what you think of it. It's kind of interesting because it has bits in it, too. Mm. So it's lemon, but there's little crunchy bits in there. See if you think you like the crunchy bits. You know, see if you think they enhance the flavor or not. Oh, and you have your lovely yeah. haichu phrases on yeah, the outside. Yeah, there's, there's, it's like, it's like, um... Each candy is individually wrapped in a, in a promotional... Yeah, in a piece of foil. Well, it's not promotional yeah. at all, as I'm yeah. saying. It's, it's, it's like a, um, a pick-you-up. It's like a... Motivational poster. Yeah, like a motivational message on each one. So, you can hear, hear haichu. Lemon, a bit thin. Oh, yeah. Have we crunched a bit yet? We chewed yeah. into it. They're kind of bits or something. Yeah. I prefer without the bits, I think. We've never had a chance to really taste the bits yet. Okay, I didn't then, realize when I was eating it first until a little bit later, I was like, oh. The bits have the sour pockets or whatever, probably, or the flavor pockets or something. Well, keep chewing and tell me what you think of that long distance. I'll message you out. So if once you if you fail once, it's 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 okay to try the next way of doing something. Basically, mm. if you fail, try again. Mm. A little pictures too, usually. Yeah, I've got a little winking haichu guys. Haichu guys, yeah. I don't know what kind of face my haichu guys are making, but I've got shiranai ajio shiruko de hitotsu tonnani naru. Oh, so you become more of an adult if you. Become introduced to a new flavor that you didn't know yeah, before. Yeah, right? if you taste a flavor you didn't know, you become more of an adult. Which actually sounds kind of dirty to me. I've seen this one before. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to have a dirty implication, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think he's got a sour face on mine. That's the face he's making. But yeah, I think you were very interesting. He I like him. He Basically. <laughs> yeah right an adult flavor an adult flavor yeah you become an adult by by tasting this like so much uh but yeah i actually are like the uh so like a chewy candy you know and i like the almost like a starburst in japan i think they're a lot better than starburst for start they actually have like fruit in them i, I have part of another phrase on mine my main phrase was the one about if you fail try yeah again. i usually get one cut off you don't need to bother i think i can read it though Do you have a whole one yeah I'm sometimes not, you get two yeah so, the reason that people love you is because you're not just sweet all the time. <laughs> is that what that means? Yeah. Oh, I see. So, because, and, well, I also means to be, like, so, because you're not also those things, you know, not just those things, people love you, I yeah. suppose. You're very distracted by the uh, 
with the, the, the wrappers as I was trying to explain well, the candy. You, I'm describing you the flavor eat the or what it's like. Are you used to the wrappers? This is my I first haiju and or second haiju in my entire life. So. You know, you, you eat them that seldom. I oh, literally you only had one or two. Um, it tastes just like Laffy Taffy <laughs> from the States. Yeah, except this one had little bits of crunchiness. Do you feel the little kind of aftertaste from the, the crunchy bits? Well, you have none of Haichu maybe to tell the difference. Uh, but I noticed eating these, they almost have like a little kind of mentholiness to them in the crunchy do bits. They? Yeah, there's like a little, don't you breathe in through your mouth? Don't you feel the coolness? There's almost maybe. like a little menthol kind of action. I don't know if it is menthol or not, but there's that sort of feeling in them because of these little like cooling crystal bits here. Hmm. So, normally it doesn't have that extra, I don't know. Aftertaste? Feeling, yeah, aftertaste, I guess, in your mouth. In one oh, yeah, haiju, basically... there's 19 kilocalories. 19 calories, one haiju. Oh, okay, it's neither here nor there, but they're basically the, you know, if you had Starburst, or, um, oh, what was the old name for Starburst? I forget, I told you the other day. Uh, Fruity uh, Bits. Fruity Bits, <laughs> I don't think that was it. Um, you notice they have the high gay version here. Like, the, what is the high gay guy doing? That's true. Would you see the picture if you go on the uh, the blog post for this episode? I'll put the picture up with the snack as usual. There's kind of the hard, high high gay. He's yeah, kind gay, of a hard, hard gay, gay looking yeah. mascot. He's even got the mouth going woo. Yeah, like hard gay does. Exactly. So if you don't know hard gay, just look it up. It's all over YouTube. Mm -hmm. Foreigners love hard gay. Yeah, he's not really popular anymore. I don't think he does that anymore. No, but... no. He's, he's a little old hat now. That was like the early 2000s or whatever. Yeah. He, was, he was in swings. This very, very uh, flavor of the month comedians, yeah, you know. So I think, you know, you might see him here or there still, but he's not uh, really. I don't know. Uh, he's not really around that much anymore these days. It was pretty good. I like lemon flavored stuff, so. It was quite lemony. Yeah, yeah, like the lemon ones. But yeah, they're all good. So if you're ever in in Japan, give Haichu a try. Although you won't necessarily recognize it because the package is always written in katakana. I mean, a lot of snacks have you know these Roman letters mm. on them, but this one's always always written in katakana. Well, you so you have to learn Japanese if you want to try Haichu. <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> but if you see something that is by, from Morinaga, and... I think they actually sell it in the states. Even if you really? go to like, a, yeah, I think they have like an export version. If you go to like an oh. Asian food store, you might find it there. So like, if you see something that's from Morinaga that's like in probably the gum area, gum, yeah. gummy mint area. Yeah, it's usually, usually on the bottom shelf. Yeah, in a, in a rectangular yeah, in package. A rectangular thing. It's usually on the bottom shelf of convenience stores. I know. So I don't know if it's popular with kids or if there's even a connection there, but um, uh, it's usually. And I noticed that it tends to be on the very bottom in convenience stores. I don't know if there's a reason for that necessarily. Apparently that that hard gay looking guy is supposed to be a pilot. If, but, you, if you look on the side of the, of, of the of the casing, well, I guess there. I mean it's, it's aviator sunglasses, yeah. right? So I mean that's what hard gay wears. Collect all the pilots, it says. I guess maybe pilots there's are that. not hard gay versions of the pilots. Who knows? Maybe he's really got that woo face though. I think he's hard gay pilot. I think he's hard gay, but yeah, maybe it's just supposed to be like an airline pilot. Looks like hard gay to me. Mm. Anyway, how's your week? It was Have pretty good. good. Week? Yeah, it wasn't bad. All of a sudden, it's turned into fall slash early winter here. Yeah, we're almost in the winter now. There was like a few it's warm good days. colors still. Yeah, a few warm days, and then bam! That's one thing about Japan. The seasons, well, depending on where you live, the seasons yeah, really kick true. in. There's probably still a lot of fall left in a lot of the country anyway. Yeah, but it's like, oh, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot, bam, it's fall. And, oh, it's it's kind of warm. Some days it's kind of cool, some days now it's cool every day. And then bam! 
cold time, then it's winter, and it'll be some, some kind of warmer-ish days, but then cold days, and then it's cold, 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 cold. So, until spring comes. Then it'll be BAM, it's spring, and it'll have a little, like, maybe week of mixed type weather, and then... Yeah, there's transition spring, periods. Spring. But they're only, like, a week or two long. I suppose, yeah. I mean, you definitely can kind of feel the, the change, but it's sort of the transition period, you know, it's kind of cooler at night and warmer during the day. Like, when you get into spring, you know... All of a sudden, you'll feel that sun on your face during the day, but you still have some cold nights there, you know, before it really gets into full spring. So fall is upon us. We've entered yeah. November, and fall is upon us. <laughs> yep, that's all I wanted to say. Oh, is that all you Okay, yeah. that's fine. You got anything else going on? Okay, well, I had two things I want to talk about. So first of all, first of all, just to get the the more emotional thing first yeah uh -oh. so let me ask you a question uh -oh. i've only just came across this term the other day oh. recently well then i probably don't know it and this is not super japan connected but still i want to ask you a question what do you think the term activist investor means activist investor an activist investor not an if you read the wall investor, street journal or like forbes or something you've probably already heard this term i guess i guess it's a term business business speak people like to use but i only came across this term recently so not i'm reading an article on japan not an active investor just an activist investor. no the term is activist investor it sounds like someone who'd go and invest things that they think are going to get hot invest in things that are going to get hot soon and or someone who invests in things like greenpeace like <laughs> different activists things. right well you actually you're actually closer than um you're pretty close i guess actually you're your initial uh, take on it. Mm. Because when I first heard it, I thought it was more basically that second thing. I thought it was a movement, because it's like a movement too, you can sign the Activist Investors Pledge. It's huh. an article I originally saw this in. And, you know, so I thought it was a movement for, you know, investors, people who own parts of companies, right, stockholders or whatever, to, uh, you know, or people are in charge of things that own stock, you know, to, to you know, only invest in, like, you know, good, quote-unquote, places you know to not invest in things that are you said it was in the wall street journal and that that kind of stuff isn't going to be reported there like no it might be it might be they they like to it it almost certainly would be because they love to report those kinds of stories where it's like oh look don't worry capitalism is actually doing lots of good in the world see look you just have to do it just right and then it's perfect yeah then they wouldn't call those people activists they'd be like some other term activist i don't know in the states at least the term activist seems to have sort of a negative ish really like spin to it doesn't it they're all like those, i those didn't think so activists blah, i just blah, blah. i always just think of activist as a term that is like you know someone who's passionate about something you know and someone who's like trying to do some good basically is how i think of activist Maybe. What do you think? I don't think that's the way the media usually presents them. But well, I guess, but that's what the word activist. I I always think. I mean, maybe we have different impressions, but that was my impression. And so when I heard the term activist investor, I thought it was someone who only tries to invest in sustainable things, or you know, wouldn't invest in a company if they were found out to be like you know running sweatshops or something, right? You know, uh -huh. sort of a minimum. You know, I thought it was you know investing, you know, with a conscience, you know, being oh, an activist and also an so investor. not the usual type of investor that only cares about making money? Exactly. That's what you And thought. that's uh, the weirdest thing about no an activist way. investor is it's actually the other thing. It's just a regular investor, basically. It's someone who only cares about making money, but is 
extra passionate about making money. Aww. So what an activist investor is, is an investor who, you know, owns stock or buys stock or whatever in a company, and then also tries to interfere in the running of the company as well in oh. order to make more money. So rather than just that. buying stock... They like take an active then, role in the company's exactly, prospects exactly. and future. So rather than just buying stock and then, you know, hoping that the company makes money, you buy stock and then you try and use that, you know, position, that sort of uh, gun to the company's head, basically. If you don't do what I say, I'll sell my shares, you know, uh, in, in order to, you know, get the management to do what you want to do. Because, hey, you're, you know, part owner or whatever, right? Mm. Uh, and so that's what an activist... Like, I can't believe they're using the word activist this way. Like... I can totally... You have no, totally, like... Yeah, totally see. Like, you're activist... You're an activist for yourself. Like, oh, you're an activist? What's your cause? Making money for me. Like, what the just kind of cause is that? That's fucked up. But, yeah, so, I mean, you know, they're using activist more in the turn of, like, you know, in the way the term is used is to take an active role kind of thing. More yeah, than I know, like, but that's not know. usually what an activist is. An activist is usually someone who's campaigning to make some kind of positive change. Or at least they think it's positive, and then not everyone necessarily does, but, you know, mm. ostensibly positive change, you know? Yeah, I guess. Well, maybe, maybe like you said, maybe I was wrong. Maybe that term activist does have a... More positive nuance than a well, lot it's of used positively in this sense. Yeah, like an right. activist investor is sort of how a lot of people think investing needs to go. You need to take a more active role in the companies that you know you own part of in order to you know have them make more money for you. Especially oh. if you're not necessarily even personally, or oh, usually are too, but not just personally invested. You know, so you're the head of some kind of fund or something. You know, oh. so you're responsible. You have a lot of other people's money that you're responsible for. You know, you need to not just invest smartly, you should invest and then also rig the game in your favor, basically, in order to try and influence these companies to make more money for you and, you know, all the people's money that you're... Handling. Yeah, handling, in charge of. Mm. So anyways, uh, to tie this back into Japan, as I only came across this term recently... We talked about a couple of other podcasts ago, maybe last podcast, um, if you remember when I talked about the Sony thing. I just kind of mentioned it in passing, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, there was um, some investment fund thing. Basically, it turns out to be a person that's in charge of this fund or whatever, right, that he started, you know, his fund, basically. Mm. And um, anyway, so he had bought some stock in Sony and was trying to convince them to spin off their movie division, division oh, yeah, Sony Pictures or whatever. You know? was talking this about is that. fairly recent news. And uh, they never did, of course, you know, mm. some American, you know, trying to drop in. And, um, but I saw him again because now this same guy is back again. Apparently he's like, he thinks there's money to be made in Japan, I guess. There's mm -hmm. little parachute things, um, which I'll get to in a second because that's the most ridiculous thing about these kinds of people. And um, so he's buying stock now. He's got, you know, less than 5% anyways because I guess you have to declare how much it is if you have more than 5% in the company. Oh, yeah. So less than 5%. But, you know, he's speaking in English so it's enough for the Western press to kind of mm. pick up a couple articles. But he's got stock in 7-Eleven. Uh, well, 7-I Holdings to oh, be specific. Right. You know, that's the company owns 7-Eleven. But they also run a grocery store chain, you know, uh, Ito Okudo or whatever yeah. too. And um, anyways, so he's, he's, he's bought less than 5%, you know, using his fund that he runs and started in them, you know, and he's trying to get them to, you know, like, close more stores and stuff like that in order to, you know, make the share price go up. Because oh, that's the right. ridiculous thing about these kinds of people. And it's the same thing with Sony. You know, as he had bought the stock in Sony or whatever, tried to, you know, 
get them to do various things, the biggest of which was spin off Sony Pictures, which they didn't do, of course. And um, just see the share price go up. How many, how many shares of Sony do you think he owns right now? This isn't even that old news. Zero. He sold it all. Like, this is kind of, you know, they just parachute in and out, you know? It's the worst kind of person, because they come in... They don't actually care about the future of the company. The long-term health of anything is not important to them. In the present. Exactly. They want to come in, you know, convince the company to do some things. Oh, because it's in the company's interest. Yeah, it's in your interest to make the stock price go up over the short term, and then sell once it goes up. Like, that's how these people make money. So it's ridiculous to listen to them, because they're only bad news. They don't care about the long-term health of anything, mm. you know? And if you look up this guy, so the guy is, I don't know how to say his name. His last name is L-O-E-B. Loeb? Loeb, maybe? I don't know. Daniel Loeb? Uh, L-O-E-B? Um, I don't know if it's the right last uh, We'll say Loeb. Mm. Uh, Loeb, I don't know. But anyways, um, so he runs this investment thing, you know? And... Uh, uh, I saw, you know, a quote from him before about, you know, he said, you know, all my, my whole purpose or all I want to do or something like that, I'm paraphrasing here, is make money for my stockholders. Mm. Like he said that. It's like, I don't understand how you can say that and then also be like, oh, but people should listen to me. Like um. he's already openly said how all he cares about is making the stock price go up. Like, right. making the stock price go up over the short term makes this guy lots of money. doesn't guarantee that the, the company will be better in yeah, the future that for doesn't it. mean that the company is going to be good over, in the long term, overall. Not even to talk about the economy at large, whether it's good for the economy at large or not. And so you have another thing, too, because they are already, before he bought stock in them, which I guess is a reason he bought stock in them, 7i Holdings is closing some of the, the less profitable... Uh, grocery and department stores, around some department stores too. They're also um, cutting down, laying off some of the corporate staff, headquarters, you know, staff too. Mm. And um, so I just thought this 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 little quote from him too was was just 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 how these people talk, you know. Like all he's concerned about is being a billionaire, you know. And so in regards to to them laying off thirty percent of their headquarters staff. He's saying how oh, it's a good sign we are encouraged by, and then thirty uh, percent of its corporate referring to Seven Nine Holdings thirty percent of its corporate office staff will be streamlined. Streamlined is that that's that means that's fired, the term right? used. Apparently, streamlined means fired. I've ne- I don't think I've ever heard streamlined mm-hmm. used as a way of laying off. Like I, you know, will be made redundant. Will be laid off. Will be let go. These are all companies going to be restructured. <laughs> yeah, will be restructured out of a job. <laughs> like, like these are all already kind terms for firing someone, for kicking someone out on the street. You know, they're already euphemisms. But those are apparently apparently too much or whatever. And so you got to say streamlined. I mean, just how sick is that? Like, uh, it's a it's a little. <laughs> Little, the people who are being streamlined are seen as just, right. you know, little little tokens on the board, not yeah. really human streamlined. beings. Streamlined. 30% of its corporate office staff will be streamlined. And by streamlined, we mean fired. <laughs> like, like, because I've heard it used before, right, in the sense of like, oh, we're going to streamline things here at mm. the office, and that means firing some people. Right. But he's specifically referring to the 30% of people the who staff, are being fired as be they personally are being streamlined. Streamlined out of a job. Steamlined out of a job. 
And anyways, so it's too early to tell what kind of damage he's going to try and do to 7-9 Holdings. He's got his finger in a couple of other pots in Japan, too. Mm. But, I mean, the guy's an idiot, uh, you know. Or in any case, he's, you know, only cares about himself in any case. But uh, he also seems kind of dumb to me to think that he's going to, you know, make a lot of gains mm. doing this kind of stuff in Japan. You know, the things that worked for him in the States... Things are going to find don't work for him quite so well here. People kind of think about the long term a little bit more here. Yeah, people don't listen to Sheryl's quite so much. People think about the long term more. You don't just get to, you know, people aren't allowed to fuck stuff up quite so easily as they are in the States, Mm. you know? Oh, that person's got a lot of money? Well, apparently he's doing whatever he wants. It doesn't work quite as well here in Japan, you know? Mm. So we'll we'll see if if he has any better luck. But I see him in this one article I was reading about here. It even mentioned, I mean, suppose he made money on the Sony deal anyways, because, mm. you know, he did sell when it was up higher than it was when he bought oh, in, yeah. even though they didn't listen to him. You know, the stock price was going up then anyway. Mm. Um, but it mentioned that, like, since he started this fund or whatever, it's returned, like, you know, it's gone up, like, 16% on average every yeah. year. Mm. And since in this last year here, with all of his Japan things, you know, in this past year, it's been at zero percent for this oh. past year so he's like way below average for what he the kind of returns he was getting in the states so right. we'll see if his luck improves at all uh, uh in in japan long term so that was sort of a sort of a half news issue there but it's not really much news mm. per se we'll see if we'll see if they pay attention to him all day because they sure though didn't it sony yeah, got lucky in, on that deal the individual stockholder isn't necessarily going to get really much clout in a, any sort of large well he's in charge of this big multi-billion dollar fund thing you know Still. you know he's trying to mess with these really big companies like yeah. sony or seven nine holdings and it's you know they're he winds up getting weight because most of these big companies are owned by a lot of different people. So, like, mm. when he bought all those shares of Sony, I forget what percentage he had, but he was Sony's largest shareholder uh, at right. the time. Individual. Even though it was only a right. few percent, you know, mm. uh, because it's just owned by so many different, you know, smaller things. Right. Um, and um, I don't know, I haven't seen anything. I said he was the largest of nine, but in any case, he has less than 5%, you know. But honestly, I think he's read more in the Western press than anywhere else. Probably. Uh, just because there's not that much news coming from Japan. So if you have this guy who's like, yeah, I own shit in Japan, listen to me. They ain't got anybody else from Japan talking to him. They sure as hell ain't even got, like, news bureaus or anything in that country. You know, in this country here in, in Tokyo or anything anymore. Like, they, they might be had, as they maybe had in the past. So, anyways, that was the first thing I wanted to say. I see. Second thing I wanted to talk oh, about. Oh, that was all one thing? That okay. was all one thing. It's not so much news I want to go into this week, so I'll do, right. do the front end a little bit more. All right, second thing I want to talk about. Here's another question for you Uh-oh. to start this issue. Okay. We'll probably skip the morality questions this time. Since oh, I've got, since you're already quizzing So I'm already quizzing you on other things. We'll, we'll pick back up morality questions next time. It's going to get too long otherwise. Um, so here's my next question for you. So which is better, subs or dubs? It depends on the individual. Me personally, I'm cutting this. This is I can't believe this. Me, go ahead, me, go ahead. Me personally, I like subs better than dubs because I don't mind reading slash I don't. Well, it depends on what language you're talking about. We're talking about Japanese subs. We're talking about my anime. 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 Which oh. is better for anime? Motorcycles going there. Yeah. Which is better for anime, subs or dubs? Well, for me, subs are better because... So diplomatic. 
Oh, yeah. Because I don't actually even need subs or dubs to watch <laughs> anime, so... Well, now you're just voice. Right, now you're just potty. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, if I was going to... If you to don't, know to, Japanese. don't know Japanese. Personally, I think subs are better because generally I find the voice actors who were hired to play those roles are better than the voice actors. They just scrounged up from somewhere to get a dub out to the yeah, other, you know, Western media. But some people don't like to read, and some people... Like, it's the same thing with, like, foreign films. Are you the kind of person who wants a dubbed or a subbed foreign film? Yeah, subbed every time. Sure, but there's some people who don't want subbed. There's a bunch of people who go and yeah, go why, though? dubs. Because they don't like to read. I don't know why. This, like... this is what I'm saying. Subs are better, okay? I don't care what she says. <laughs> subs are better. Like, objectively, subs are better. I've never seen any argument that was the least bit convincing that dubs... Are even as good as, let alone preferable. Quality-wise, subs. Yeah, sure. But if you go and ask an individual, like I've asked a bunch of Japanese people, would they rather have a subbed movie from the West or a dubbed movie from the West? And they all say dubbed. None of them want to watch subs. And like, yeah, well, that indicates a lack of interest in the thing. Why were they even watching that movie? Because they like they probably, weird foreign yeah, see, films. You like, ask them, do they though? They probably don't. Because you ask Japanese people, Japan is one of the very few countries in the world. It's pretty much Japan and India where those the, the ticket sales from movies in those countries are higher for their domestically produced films than for Hollywood films well, every that's year. That's true, that's true. Oh, have you heard that before? Yeah, I, I've heard I that read before. that not that long ago. But there's very few countries like that. Even countries like say, Britain, which has a pretty big film industry of mm. its own, or Sweden, still, when you take the total ticket sales of the year, Hollywood films outperform them. You know, because, I mean, there's just so many more big blockbusters. Their budgets are just so much bigger. Yeah. Even if you have a strong domestic film industry, it's usually not stronger than the important Hollywood films. That's true, but also the But film... Japan and Bollywood, you know, right. India, are basically the only places The people who go to movie theaters and the film industry in Japan are... The, the, the... People who go to watch films in Japan are significantly different than the people who go to watch films in the States, I think, in any case. You have a whole, like... I guess, I'm just saying, most Japanese people, when they go to see a film, they're going to see a Japanese film. Yeah, most anyways, of them... it's not I, a sub or dub question, right. really, anyways, because they're not seeing foreign films. It, it seems like the general populace of people who go to see films are families in Japan. It doesn't have as much of a... everywhere. Well, sure, but it doesn't have as much of a couple's, like... Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, go out on a date feel, as I think films do in the States. So there's a lot of films, I think, in the States that appeal towards, like, middle school, high school level people. And, like, a lot of those Hollywood blockbusters, you know, are good for, you know, people who are in college age and stuff like that, too. There's all kinds of Hollywood films. There's Hollywood, sure. Hollywood produces films for all ages. Are you going somewhere with this? Or, like, I'm just saying, like, Hollywood, I don't think, produces I feel like you're getting films. away from the point I'm trying to sure. make. I don't think Hollywood produces a lot of films targeted specifically at children, whereas, like... Yeah, it does. Maybe, but... Cars, like, the Japan... What was that? Sequel 3, or I want to say Episode 3. What the hell do you call sequels? Number 3? Yeah. Uh, that Cars franchise was very big in Japan because, like, half, most of the movie was in Japan. I think it was the third I'm just saying, if you count one. all the Conan, Detective Conan, Anpanman, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, you know, all those... Yeah. Pixar, big Disney animation films. Yeah, Hollywood produces like, tons of They don't come out with like four or five Pixar films a, a year, whereas there are like, if you take all of those movies that are targeted just for children here, there's at least four or five, six, seven 
you know, that are domestically there's, produced just for children. Yeah, there's probably at least that many that Hollywood produces big so? budget, with bigger budgets than the Japanese ones aimed specifically well, at children. Perhaps, but... I don't They're know. aimed more at American culture, you know, in places where that's strong, obviously. I don't They're know. steeped in like, American culture. in general, culture. I don't... I don't feel like families will go watch a, a fucking on Pon Man like equivalent film in the states at a movie theater. They'll wait till it comes out on DVD and then they'll buy it for their kid and they'll sit their kid in front of the TV and say, "Watch this." Presumably, they take their kids there. I mean, Maybe. somebody's buying the tickets to you know Brave and all these other films. Those are movies that appeal, I think, more to middle schoolers and high schoolers than to young children, young audiences. Pixar films, yeah, Disney films and Pixar films. I don't think are meant for like you know elementary schoolers. I think they are, actually. <laughs> I really don't think they Look, are. Just because your mother didn't let you watch, like, PG-13 films until you, well, until you moved out, like, doesn't mean that that's the typical thing. Sure, but, like, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I don't think Cars was meant for people young, more, I don't think the yeah, target audience for people under age eight. Like. Wait, that's not, you're not under age eight in elementary school. Six to eight is elementary school. Like six to ten is elementary school. Okay, I guess. I'm but saying yeah, I don't think Cars' target, target audience was kids who were even ten years. It's definitely target elementary schoolers. Like no I don't way. think you've ever seen a Cars movie. Like I have. It's pretty childish. I tell you, it's targeted more towards adults than ten year olds. <laughs> well, no, obviously all of those type of Disney things too are meant to also draw on adults. They love to slip in these little you know sexual euphemisms and stuff. To, to get adults into theaters because kids aren't going themselves when you're targeting kids that young. In fact, that's a sign that it's for really young kids because Maybe. those kids can't get to the theater themselves. So you have to have a film that adults can wink at each other about too because they're having to sit through it with their stupid kids. In any case, I think subs are better, but a lot yes, of people like obviously. dubs. That's, like, this wasn't a serious question. You literally had to answer one word and the word was subs because subs are obviously better, okay? <laughs> Anyways, I'm trying to get to the point here. I've never seen an argument that was convincing that dubs were better. I've never seen anything even a little bit convincing about dubs being in any way superior to subs. Yeah? Okay. Right? Until recently. That's what this this thing I'm something? trying to talk about is. Something? Yeah, yeah. I, I read an argument for why this person, and I, I wonder how many people are like this person, but why this person can they not see the screen prefers very well? dubs. No, it's not like a physical, you know, disability or anything like that. Obviously, obviously, like if you're blind, subs are kind of hard to enjoy. Like, sure. yeah, you kind of need dubs or something. Is it because you point. have to work harder for dubs to get the, the mouths to match up somewhat with the amount of phrases that you can put in there? No, it wasn't a matter of producing it. It was enjoying it. Enjoying it. Yeah, it was just, just as a viewer. Yeah, no. Well, I, you don't have to think about it as much as when you're reading. You can watch the screen more. Yeah, see, more. that's not an argument that convinces me. You can watch the screen me. more rather yeah, than watching the Yeah, people say that, but, like, if it's if it's that good that you want to watch the animation that much, you just watch it twice. Hmm. Like, if you really, you can watch it once. Well, you could do it in either order, but, you know, watch it once for, you know, the story, read the subs, and then you'll already be familiar with the story, and you can really watch the, you know, animations on the second watch. So what was the argument? All right, you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> Their argument was, and I can't, I can't find, uh, you know, this is a compelling argument for dubs if you're this kind of person. Their argument was that, you know, when they want to watch a show, especially one of these, like, kind of Shonen Jump type shows that have a lot of episodes in them, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, One Piece Bleach, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Lots of episodes. That because it's 
so many episodes and such a long commitment that they prefer dubs because what they like to do is like, you know, if they're watching it online on Crunchyroll or something, right? Pull it up in one tab and then do something entirely unrelated in other tabs, like of their browser on their computer so or maybe on another screen. Yes, exactly. They're not even watching the damn show. Why would they bother? I don't know! Like, just so they know the story? Can you read the I synopsis guess. on Wikipedia? Yes, you're super good! Weird. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen! It was just so they could say they, quote, watched all those I episodes? I guess, because they haven't. You literally haven't watched it if you're saying you watched it and all you did was listen to it. Like, it was the craziest thing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was, it was a hard thing to argue subs for because, yeah, you can't, like, see subs while you're looking at something else. <laughs> what was I'm not? Why? Uh, I'm it not was so really crazy. Sure I wonder how many people are like that person. Yeah, I don't. I don't get the point either. I mean, kind of like I was thinking about it. I was like, am I just like too old? You know, because it's such a stereotypical like <laughs> millennial thing to be like, oh, I gotta be on my smartphone and do all kinds of different things. Although to be fair, for a long time people have said people are too multitasking and stuff about you know trying mm. to do too many things at once and failing and doing anything well. So it's hardly a millennial generation. So it's not a new millennial, it's not a new criticism specific to millennials. It was just kind of making me feel a little bit like a crotchety old man thinking this. But for real, like if that's your life, you have a problem. Like, yeah, what are you, what are you, what other tabs are you doing? Stuff I don't know, today? like doing Facebook or, you know, I was trying to think about it afterwards because it wasn't really specific. It was just some kind of comment on you know, Reddit or whatever. And uh, I was trying to think about it. And one thing that could be, you know, if you're playing, like, a really mindless kind of, you know, memorphic game, like, WoW or something, you know, where you're just, just, like, like grinding, grinding, uh... you could be listening to something in the background, like, just put it on mute, you know, the game, and you can, you know, grind while you listen to something. You're probably grinding too much. Uh, That's kind of a sign. But, you know, A. uh, B. If you had to be at your computer chained there, but, like. Yeah. Right, had, but had to, had to look tests. at something else. Are people watching as at work? Like, yeah, they, they I mean, it could people. be an at-work thing. But even in that case, like, if... Wouldn't like, that interfere with your job, though? Well, probably, but it's an animation. Like, it's it's literally, you know, a cartoon. Like, it's meant to be looked at, But you maybe, know? maybe they're talking about, like, if it was Bleach and it was one of those arcs that are, like, not in the manga, but they're just, like, done by a little really shady Do you need to listen to it, like, then? Like, or why watch it it at all? I mean, because that's what I'm talking about. Like, first of all, like, watch good anime, you know? Watch anime with good art. You don't have to watch stuff that has bad art, you know? Like, like, there's lots of choices out there. So watch something that has a good story and it has art that you enjoy, you know? You don't need to watch bad anime. It's fine. Just watch the good stuff. It'll take up enough of your time. Like, I can't really figure out a motivation for that other than like you gotta constantly have something like there's some people who are addicted to tv and stuff constantly that's what i mean i just screams of addiction i mean has to have some sort of tv or some sort of picture going on at all times in their house unless they're asleep and even then when they're asleep they fall asleep with it on but but like his argument was that like it was too much of a time commitment and this way like he could I hesitate to use the word enjoy. He could experience the thing, and um, why don't you just read? Also, be doing other it, things. I don't. Yeah, you can. Do you think I mean, you can just, just read through a synopsis? Check, check the bucket it's list so off. I silly. guess. Make a check on your bucket list. So, I watched all of One Piece. I mean, but yeah, the the second thing I was gonna say, B, I was gonna say, is um, if you are in that situation where you're grinding or maybe working or something, but your ears are free, why anime? 
It's such a yeah, thing to be watched. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Or books on tape. They're so cheap and easy to come yeah. by these days. I mean, they used to be really expensive, like yeah. books on tape. You know, now audiobooks, more accurate to call them these days, right? Um, are, are very cheap. We had, you know, I mean, there's a lot of free ones. There's a whole, you know, LibriVox thing where the volunteers read stuff. You know, those are completely free. There's, yeah. there's you know, cheap ones in places like Audible and stuff like that. And there's, you know, free, but, you know, maybe not necessarily entirely legal, even if stuff that's not a copyright you can find on YouTube and stuff, even. Like, you know, yeah, you have to go out of your way. There's lots of stuff to listen stuff to. That, you know, like, make their own audiobooks as well. Like, if you don't have time to look at something, you have to look at something else, like, well, you can at least, you know, pump some literature into your ears. Why anime? Like, that's meant to be looked at. It's like, oh, have someone else read a manga to me, you know? Like, it's 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 a visual medium. Like, I don't understand your life choices if that describes you. So, anyways, my whole life, subs are clearly better, and I've never heard anything that was convincing at all about dubs. And then I was like, well, this I can't really argue with. <laughs> like, if that's how you have to enjoy it, you know, well, you actually can't use subs in that case, I guess. Yes, that is a superiority of dubs. Dubs are superior in the case that you don't have to look at the thing. If you don't want to look at it, why are you doing it? I don't really understand at all. Yeah, it was the craziest thing. You have thing. to wait for dubs to come out and stuff too. So like, and a lot of times dubs are done yeah. professionally. So that means you're like paying money. If you're no, using, I mean there are some yeah unprofessional dubs. But yeah, almost all dubs are. Yeah, if you're using Crunchyroll and stuff, like you're probably you know paying for their services. And like, if that's the case, like you definitely think you'd want to like watch it. <laughs> and like, there's no real rush either for you. You don't want to see like what happened in the newest episode. So you can tell all your friends about it or anything because like there's a delay generally for dubs. And yeah, so, they use a hunk of the subs anyway. Right. So like it's not even a matter of I gotta get like I don't have time I to have watch not, the episode. Yeah. I have to have it in my ears, but I gotta know what happened. Like I I, I really don't understand motivation, so I honestly think it's just people have a problem. <laughs> Something. You want another high chew? No, I'm good. You can have one if you want though. <laughs> That's that was the end of that. Segment. Should we get into some news? Sure. All right. Oh, too much news that I want to cover this time. Um, well, I guess we did promise last time that we talk about the TPP this time. So let's talk about the TPP, I guess. We should cover that here. There's not a lot to talk about, even though I put it off. Even though, you know, this is a little bit of a Hisashi Bitty podcast here. It's been a couple of weeks, I know. Um, there's a gap. We there's had, a gap. We had some gap weeks. Yeah, we had some gap weeks, you know, Halloween. Um... Not much new has happened. The full text still has yet to be released by anyone. Mm. So we, we still don't have a full text to go off. Do you have anything to say about TVP before I say a couple of things? I don't have a couple nope. of things to say myself. All right. So there's a couple of things that are kind of interesting um, that we know so far. Okay. Um, so there's a couple of articles. There's some, you know... I don't know, things that have come out here or there, I guess. I mean, none of these can actually be confirmed because we don't have the text. But um, basically, personally, first of all, I was surprised that they actually concluded the discussions. You know, what, last month or two months ago, I think it was September now mm. that they, you know, it's November now, that they uh, concluded the discussions. And someone had asked me a while ago, uh, I don't know, earlier in the year, you know, if I, if I thought that it was going to be done by the end of this year, you know, because they were saying again, Obama especially was saying, you know, well, he wants it done the end of this year. 
And my prediction was, no, it's not going to be done by the end of this year. Because he said that last year, too, that it's going to yeah. be done by 2014. And it wasn't even close. Right. <laughs> like, like September? Like, way off. And so I said again, oh, no, it's got to be done by the end of this year. You know, I mean, he's getting down to the end of his term now and stuff, too. Right. You know, and so he wants to get this done, obviously. Um more so than before. And so that's the first thing that struck me about this, is I was really surprised that they actually concluded it in that last mm-hmm. round of talks. Um, I thought they were going to go at least another round, even if they did make it by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And so that, first of all, we don't have the text, but first of all, is an indication to me that the U.S. probably compromised on a lot of things that it said a while ago it wasn't going to. Oh, you know, at, at the onset of this, it's like, oh, we want this, this, and this. But then and when you're under time pressure, it, like, yeah, yeah, it's like, well, or maybe they could work people over the long term, but when they're under a time pressure, they don't have, you know... They're under time pressure, you know? It's like, if, if if the other side simply delays, then that's a loss for you if you have to have it done by a certain date, right. you know? Like, even if the other side, say, would eventually come around to your view if you had more time to work on it, you know? So that's an indication straight away to me that, you know, the U.S. probably didn't get, didn't come out of this too, you know, good vis-a-vis other countries. Oops. Vis-a-vis other countries like Japan. Um, so let's see. So some things that we have, oh, right. That was one of the big things in regarding Japan and the TPP was they managed to, I think the, I forget what the, the U S was arguing for a percentage. This is about percentage of, you know, this is cars and trucks, but the percentage of a car that has to be made within the, you know, free trade area sphere, in this case, the TPP participating country sphere in order for it to be considered a car from there, oh, you know, cause okay. Cars are produced in parts all over the world, right. basically. You know, when a car is produced in a plant, the final assembly, like, those parts have come from all kinds of different right. other plants that produce those parts, you know. Like no car is like, made in one city, you yeah, know, no, for all, sure. All parts of, the, of a cell phone come from, like, yeah, 50 million different absolutely. places. It's, it's the same with cars. <laughs> Actually, you'd be surprised. But, um... It's the same with cars. Yeah, they come from all over. So one of the issues is how much of a car has to be from within participating countries to be counted as a car from those countries in regards to tariff exemptions, you know? And the U.S. is arguing for the same percentage as it is under NAFTA, which I forget exactly what it was. I want to say 80%, but it was something around there. Uh, I'm not sure if it was 80 or not, but it was around 80%, maybe 75. Japan, on the other hand, is more concerned. So, you now, U.S. manufacturers, of course, mainly source from, you know, large U.S., Mexico, maybe a little bit from other areas, but, you know, especially Mexico, and especially since NAFTA, you know. Mexico is part and parcel of this with the TPP and everything, so they were good with the high percentage. Japan, on the other hand, is not as much Asian participation, you know, and so Japan has a lot of things, especially in, say, Thailand, you know, South Korea, China, places that aren't part of the TPP, at least not yet. They might be in the future, especially South Korea and Thailand are both looking into it for sure. Um, And so, you know, parts in Japanese cars that come from there, you know, it would be very difficult to difficult. get to high percentage. Yeah, to, to reach these high percentages. So obviously Japan is lobbying, or was lobbying, for a lower percentage. Anyways, it seems like they won out on that, because the actual end set, it seems to be, is 45%, um, which is kind of funny, because it's less than half of, of, of a car, <laughs> not just na- less than half of a hundred, I mean. Oh, well, yeah. Like, less than half of a car has to less come, than from, half a car has to come yeah. from within TPV countries to be counted as from 
a TPP yeah, country. So weird. it gets tariff exemptions, even if most of the car wasn't even produced within yeah. the TPP. So at, that was really surprised at how low that percentage was. So that was obviously good news for, you know, Japanese uh, car manufacturers. Um, in exchange, there's uh, the U.S. has basically got permission to, to s s roll off its uh, tariffs on Japanese cars over a longer period of time, basically. Uh, so they'll be able to maintain their tariffs for, I forget how long, but to a certain extent, they're not even that much. Um, trucks are the only thing. Japanese trucks get hit by a bit of tariffs, but according to this article here that I'm looking at from um, automotivenews.com, uh, it's only 2.5% on cars anyway. And even then, it's not often that big of a deal because Japan's actually very strong in the U.S., manufacturing industry you know mm. like there's not a lot of like gm plants in japan right? right but there are a lot of nissan and toyota and honda plants in, in America, the u.s yeah. and that's the interesting thing that this article also pointed out is that any of these benefits that the tpp brings that are going to give advantages to american manufacturers also actually give those same advantages to japanese manufacturers operating in the u.s there's a lot more of those than vice versa <laughs> It's a lot more Japanese manufacturers operating in the U.S. than the U.S. ones operating in yeah, Japan. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. So even if there's more, you know, obviously, you know, even if the U.S. is mainly U.S. automakers, there's still a lot of Japanese automakers there, and they'll be able to export cars to, say, you know, Chile or somewhere like that that's participating in the TPP. They'll be able to get those same tariff exemptions. Uh, the even if they're not shipping cars from Japan, they can just right. ship them from the States, right. you know, and then send the profits back to, you know, their headquarters. So it's, it's, it's kind of difficult for that. So, um, uh, I guess some figures even in the article, um, you know, like General Motors exported, uh, what, 2014, I guess, like 233,000 vehicles, um, uh, in Japan, exported to the U.S. 472,000 vehicles in 2014. Um, that's, of course, just carrying General Motors to Japan. But also, it's, it's kind of showing the flow into the U.S., you know. Mm. The U.S. isn't a strong exporter of cars, even to other countries, aside from Japan, right. you know. And so they're trying to compete, you know, especially, like this article says, in emerging markets like, you know, Thailand or... or um, well, not Thailand, I guess, because not TVP, but I think, what, uh, Malaysia, I think, is in there? Or, you know... And um, Chile, you know, so, you know, some of these Southeast Asian, South Asian countries or oh, Vietnam, South American countries. True. Yeah, Vietnam's in the TPP. Um, you know, and so Japan kind of has that advantage in Asia, but then also because of all their manufacturing plans in the States, they're actually quite competitive exporting mm. from the States right. to these other South American countries. Or if they want, they can also export from Asia to these South American countries. So they sort of have a two-root thing they can do, yeah. whereas the U.S. is sort of stuck in its, you know, U.S., you know, auto manufacturers sort of, you know, stuck in what they have. So that was kind of an interesting point. Um, the other main issue, of course, of the TPP, in regards to Japan especially, is the, the uh, food issue. So there's, um, there's a lot of discussions on that. You know, the U.S. is a big food exporter, right. you know, and this is why the U.S. wants tariffs to be eliminated. This is always the strangest thing about this to me, is, you know, the argument is free trade, right? Right. The banner is free trade. And so, using this banner, you know, places like the U.S. always say, oh, we need to eliminate tariffs. Right. Or at least lower them as much as possible. So, they're against tariffs because they're all for free trade, ostensibly. 
but, but then on the back side, stuff. <laughs> yeah, but on the back side, they have tons of subsidies. Uh, well, so, yeah. like for farm products, the U.S. is always trying to, especially on Japan, other countries too, trying to eliminate or lower tariffs on farm products so that they can export more farm products. Because right. oh, free trade—it's bad for you know unbridled capitalism to have tariffs. But they never eliminate their subsidies. You right. know, on the producing end, back in the states, they have all these huge subsidies to different, you know, farming industries. Right. Uh, so that, you know, a lot of things aren't even, you know, uh, saw a documentary on corn, you know, like, you know, mm. claim that from the numbers, it's not even sustainable to produce on these big factory farms without the subsidies. You uh-huh. know, the price that it sells for isn't right. high enough to make a profit growing corn, except that you also have the government subsidy and that is what's pushing you into the black. You know, that's what's making it profitable. But if the banner is free trade <laughs> and, you know, just capitalism all the way, aren't subsidies, yeah, not very, you know, isn't that kind of big government the same as tariff? You're just doing it on the other end. Right. Rather than the selling end, you're doing it on the producing end. I don't see how one is like, ideologically superior to the other. They both yeah. seem to be equal to me, you know? It's clearly just a self-serving thing. Oh, well, if you're sure. an exporting country, you want low tariffs. Yeah, if you're an importing country, you, you want the tariffs, yeah. and you're not so keen on subsidies. You know, subsidies help you to produce tons of stuff for export, you know? Right. If you're only trying to produce enough for, you know, your consumption, yeah. you know, domestic consumption, you're not necessarily so concerned with subsidies, but then, you, of course, you do want tariffs to protect the domestic industry. Anyways, so that's first of all when it comes to food. That's the weird thing about me. It it's, doesn't make any sense from a ideological argument. It makes sense from a realistic argument, well, you yeah, know. Sure. But from the ideology that they claim to be arguing from, it never has made sense to me. Um, so anyways, on the food issue, you know, there's tariffs on um, various things. You know, main things are like rice, beef, pork, um, especially with the states. And then in regards to like, you know, Australia is also... Um, there was some news recently on like butter and cheese, Sorry. you know, just come on from uh, there. And so, um, so some news that we have there. So yeah, like on the butter and cheese side, which mainly affects Australia really more than it does the States. Um, they're basically doing a quota thing, which is kind of funny because the, the, uh-huh. the, I, the whole thing of the TPP was just to eliminate tariffs. Right. And I guess Japan managed to argue like, well, okay, we'll keep the tariffs, but we'll just do more quotas, which Japan has always done. Like this, right. they already have quotas on a lot of things that they've mm. arranged, you know, ever since the seventies and stuff, you know, cause, oh, we're not being competitive enough. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to keep the tariffs, but we'll import, we'll guarantee that we'll buy from you a right. certain amount, you know, and that tends to placate people while also allowing them tight control over the domestic market, you know? And so it seems to be that's exactly what's happened again with the TPP, even though the TPP was supposed to be, you know, much bigger than any other free trade thing before. Japan's still getting its way. It pretty much. Quotas still seem well, to have the been the... domestic populace, like the people here, wouldn't let them pass TPP if they Yeah, didn't. right. Well, this hasn't been passed yet anyways. And that's the thing with the TPP. Right. And the reason they don't want to release the text is that I don't think anybody's passed it yet. Japan right. hasn't. Um, it's no guarantee there. It's... A, less of a guarantee in places like um, the U.S. where, you know, it's like an election coming up or Canada, uh, where I think the government just changed recently. Yeah, a um, Yeah, so even less guaranteed in these places. But um, anyway, so quotas seem to be uh, the thing. So there's going to be a quota on butter and cheese, which, uh, you know, is not even that big. Um, most uh, beef and pork, on the other hand, are going to have their... Um, 
tariffs reduced a lot. So they're not right. using a quota thing there, but they already import tons of, especially beef. I mean, it's weird because American beef is already always the cheapest beef. Yeah. Supposedly, there's like a 38.5% tariff on it right now. Already? Supposedly. It's like way I cheaper than domestic. Yeah. I know. So supposedly, stands. that's going to phased in over like two decades, it's going to cut down 9%. So I don't understand how it's going to get any cheaper. I wonder if it even is going to get any cheaper because it's already the cheapest. Like, I don't yeah. understand who's not buying it now when it's already the cheapest. It's going to start buying it if it's, you know, an extra 50 yen cheaper, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's hard to imagine. The one, on the other hand, pork is having a similar big um, tariff cut. You know, mm. like that. Um, that one's in terms of yen per kilo, apparently. Uh. Yeah, apparently it's something like 400 yen a kilo or something just in tariffs on, on mm. uh, American pork. And that's going to go down to like 50 yen a kilo. Um, so that's pretty significant. So yeah. since pork, American pork I don't see so much. Yeah, so I think there is maybe American room pork. for America to come in and also be the cheapest meat in that category. Right. Beef is um, way, way Beef up. is already American. It's the cheapest by far. Um, it's usually cheaper much, than Australia you even. You don't see much chicken. Which is cheaper than Japanese. And you don't see much pork. Yeah, chicken and pork are still mainly Japanese, even the cheapest stuff, like no, which is cheaper than beef anyway. Like, like no processed meats at so, all in the States. Like no hot dogs, no sausages. Like that might be. I guess I don't read the labels much, but it's not for much. a lot of processed stuff, a lot of that stuff just comes from China and other Asian countries. Right. Like, if you're going to process and then import, so much closer. Right. Um, I wonder if that those markets will get more flooded with American meat. Processed meat processed categories? Meat categories. I'd, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, what, if beef becomes cheaper in yeah, pork, will they too. be able to, like, process more stuff? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't read the labels on processed meat things it's enough. It's not as big of a processed I don't, does meat even, Does it always here. say on the labels what Generally country the does. meat is from? Generally. Not just where the item was produced. Because right. the item could be made in Japan, but it could be made using imported right. beef or whatever. Generally, I think it does. The stuff that I've looked at. But... I don't say I haven't looked at that much. But, but I, mean, you know, I haven't thought about that. There isn't as large of a processed meat industry here. In yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, not like everybody's like, eating hot dogs all the yeah, time. They're not all eating. If anything, processed fish is almost certainly a bigger industry than processed meat. There's, there's no like, hey, let's have a bologna sandwich here. Yeah, let's, right. Let's, let's have, have a fish sausage. Fish sausage, yeah, some kamaloko. Right. <laughs> for real. So I think it's very room for pork to become cheaper. Um, the most interesting thing, and I think it's interesting because a lot of people don't know about it, is I hardly ever see anyone talking about it in the Western press because I guess no one cares to talk about it because you know a good thing for the West, especially the states, is rice. So rice, again, seems like the same thing is going to happen. They wanted to, you know, cut the tariff on rice, you know, which apparently didn't happen. Japanese, like, and domestic consumers aren't going to eat foreign rice. Yeah, that's the ridiculous thing. Okay. Nobody wants to eat this stupid foreign rice They won't even eat rice, rice from anyway. freaking the neighboring prefecture. They won't eat the rice <laughs> that's actually that, that true. they've grown yeah. up on. That's actually kind of a good point. Exactly. Like... Especially in areas that grow a lot of rice. The people there always just eat the rice that's grown, like, locally. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you live in Tokyo or something, you probably don't eat Tokyo rice necessarily. But I bet the cheapest one there is probably, you know, like... Shiba. Uh, Shizuoka rice right. or, you know, rice from, uh, you know, Saitama or something. Like, right. For real, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure which one of those prefectures grows a lot of rice, but one of them, whichever is the big rice-producing area in the Tokyo area. Um... 
Uh, but for real, like, whenever I talk to anyone who's gone like abroad and they're like, I really <laughs> wanted to eat rice. I'm like, well, they have rice in that country. They're like, that rice is terrible. I'll never eat that rice. <laughs> yeah, people, people there, are pretty picky about people their rice. They might like it, but it's got a certain flavor, a certain yeah. aftertaste, or a certain consistency. A lot of people think it's the water. I used to. I've seen on oh, yeah. several occasions uh, when there's some, you know, big fancy Japanese chef is going to go do, you know, a, a short term cooking thing and. Paris or New York Do or something. Do they bring their own water? I've seen several chefs who insist on bringing their own water with them from Japan for the cooking they're going to do because uh, they think some you know whatever mineral content or uh, pH level of the water from however it's wherever it is in the plants yeah here. maybe right wherever it is they're from you know that water from that area where they run their restaurant you know is essential, to, essential their cooking, to the cooking you know? flavor. that's one of the reasons people like um like tofu from kyoto a lot of people think the tofu because tofu is a very water intensive producing mm, thing yeah. a lot of people like the water the tofu from kyoto i think it's because of the kyoto aquifer you know oh, they have that yeah. natural spring water that they use so you know it could be with the rice too i, I wouldn't be surprised i don't know, actually makes a difference but i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people think it's you know the water too that makes them i mean Japanese i know there's a lot of people who grow rice in japan who talk about how they're not sure how much longer they'll be able to make it sustainable because they don't really make much of a profit on you know a lot of the rice that they they grow but there's a lot of people who grow rice and just consume it in their houses and give it to their families and stuff because it's not really huge megalopolis rice companies or anything but yeah like, no, everything's on a small scale right but i mean even the people who are like i don't know how much longer i can keep it at this price or whatever like, even those people will still only grow rice and eat their own rice like, <laughs> yeah yeah everything's on a very small scale and and you know it tends to be more labor intensive than other countries but it's also actually the highest yield of any country uh, japanese farmers actually produce per acre you know the highest yield of farm produce in any other country in the world yeah. Because they put so much time and effort um, yeah, into it. Yeah, because it's done on such small-scale plots, right. you know. If you go and you don't, like, if you're doing it in a big tractor at a time, you know, there's a lot of waste per yeah. land area. Um, it's very efficient per, like, man hour, you um, know, uh, per calorie even that you're putting into it, you know. I think even of, like, gasoline and stuff. But it's not as efficient per area of land, which for, you know, a land uh short country uh land poor country like japan you know it's, it's you can see how it wound up that way you know historically you know so very high yields in japan the highest in the world in fact um but yeah so anyways back getting back to the tpp it's uh seems like basically more of the same so it looks like it looked like the tariff is going to be cut and then um basically the quota it's kind of interesting because it seems like the Japanese negotiators really got their way on this one. I'm surprised how well. Because not only did the, the, the quota you would think would be increased, because basically the state, the interesting state of things right now that a lot of people don't know about, like I mentioned before, is that Japan actually already has a rice quota on it that it has to import. This was already arranged back when, you know, people were, I guess they don't call it suing, but, you know, complaining to the World Trade Organization, oh. whatever the hell you call that. I don't think it's a lawsuit, I guess, but, you know, bringing a complaint against Japan to the World Trade Organization uh, since a long time ago. Like, so I want to say the 70s this started, but I'm not sure exact the, the, the year and the exact year. Um, and so the current situation is it's um, 770,000 tons of rice that Japan is required to import every year. Metric Just, tons, right? Yeah, metric tons of rice under uh, World Trade Organization you know, well, yeah, like agreements, I guess, basically, you know, the, the ruling, you know. And so the the funny thing about this, too, is that in Japan, what kind of rice they eat here? 
Japanese rice. Well, yeah, Japanese <laughs> rice. Well, that's that's problem number one. Short grain. Rice. Even more generally, not yeah. long grain. Short rice. grain rice. I mean, some some places <laughs> maybe sweet. like specific foreign food yeah, restaurants. Foreign food restaurants. Will use long Sometimes grain use. rice. Is there even anywhere uses long grain? I think there's some foreign food restaurants use medium grain. Maybe medium grain. Yeah, yeah. I don't even like, think there's anywhere yeah, that uses long grain. And stuff like that. Yeah, stuff yeah, for, like, medium grain Indian rice dishes. for like yeah, maybe Indian food or like I don't know, Mediterranean Filipino food, food maybe or yeah. something like that. Like, uh, I just I've never even seen any like. No, I mean, no, like it's like a foreign food thing. Maybe in like a small bag or yeah, something, like if you're like pilaf, making something. Maybe, yeah, like, like a pilaf might use a medium grain. Maybe, maybe medium. But for the most part, people do not eat medium grain with anything. Right. You know, aside from these weird foreign food things, you know, which like when people dish. mainly have at foreign restaurants. Even though when you're making a lot of other dishes, like even if you're making like a uh, not a gratin because that's potatoes, it's the one that's rice, doria, so, a doria or whatever, that's usually short grain too, isn't it? Yeah, usually. Yeah. Even most things, even if it's kind of a, a Western or Western-inspired yoshoku thing, like if you're having a you know katsudon or something like that, short grain under there, even though you're having a pork cutlet, you know, yeah. on it, like it's always you know short grain rice at a minimum. Obviously, Japanese, you know, japonica strain preferable, but right, if you're if you're only like I can the only way I can imagine people using medium or long grain rice is if they're making ethnic food, basically yeah, what exactly. we consider ethnic food. So yeah, right, which isn't that common. Which is what's what's interesting about it because one of the rules of that, uh, what is it right now? Um, it looks like according to this article, what am I looking at? Which website is this? Theconversation.com. Um, it appears that because I know under these rules they have to import. 770,000 tons of rice, and then, but there's also a certain amount of that that they're required as part of the agreements of medium grain rice that they have to import. Oh, yeah? And it looks like it's 10,000 tons now. Mm. Nobody wants it. Like, yeah, not here. Nobody wants foreign rice to start with, and then they also make them import medium grain rice? Nobody's eating that at all. <laughs> in yeah. very small quantities, like I said, in foreign food. It's not used in Japanese cooking. It's not used at Japanese restaurants. It's not used at any kind of restaurants in Japan. And it's certainly not used in the home, you know? Uh, restaurants run by well, certain foreigners. If, if someone wants to be a little, <laughs> a little bit, a little culturally sensitive someday, they maybe buy a tiny, tiny bag of it and think, let me try <laughs> right. and make this. That's what's ridiculous. Right? Again, it's another thing where it's like, oh, free trade, but you have to buy this thing that no one in your country wants because it's the thing we sell. Right. And that's the thing, Japan, uh, the U.S., I mean, wants Japan to import more medium grain. That's how they got the 10,000 tons in the first place, because the U.S. produces a lot of medium grain. The U.S. Right. doesn't isn't that good at producing short grain rice. You know, right. it produces it, but it would rather sell medium or long grain, because right. that's what it produces in abundance and efficiently, you know? Right. So that's what it wants to sell, because that's what the profit is. Maybe yeah. some of that rice is used in cereals here, I wonder. <laughs> yeah, or maybe. Granolas or yeah, something? Yeah, like a processed thing or something, like pig, a puffed pig rice. Feed, like. Yeah, and even puffed rice, like sugary candies i've seen have got to be short grain they're so yeah, short they're so <laughs> maybe maybe can can that rice they have to import i wonder if it's allowed to be used in like livestock feed you know because sometimes yeah i wonder I know, do you even use rice in livestock feed i don't know i was getting to that though but i know they use like tofu curds and you know like okara and stuff like that in other countries yeah. So I, I mean, Japan I guess pigs eat anything. Yeah, I wonder um, if Japan could do a similar. Well, I wonder if Japan I don't know if rice is good for them or not. Tofu thing. is probably, you know, beans probably a bit. Mm. 
preferable to, to feed to pigs or fattening rice. them up than just straight rice. I mean, rice. like, what about, like, foie gras or something? You could probably stuff some, <laughs> stuff some rice down uh, some I feel like, Yeah, maybe. I feel like that's probably a very specific calculated probably. thing in order to make those livers as big as possible. Not, not medium grain rice. <laughs> <Maybe. laughs> But anyways, I was getting to that. So, you know, the big question is, of course, well, they have to import all this rice, including medium-grain rice. What do they do with it? Well, the main answer seems to be... Do they just send it back to poor countries? Can you import it and then You're not far off, actually! Yeah, you're ahead of me. So, yeah, the main thing they do with it is store it in warehouses along Tokyo Bay. Like, that's the main thing, actually, uh, is it just it just builds up because nobody wants to buy it, but the government is has it for, to like, buy it. for, like, emergencies? And so, yeah, the main thing is it's stockpiled, you know, because Japan only produces about 40% on a caloric level of the, the calories that mm. Japanese people produce. Uh, consume is only only about 40% of those calories are actually produced, yeah. grown or, you know, raised domestically. Um, so, you know, a food crisis is a very real, you know, mm. uh, scare, danger, I guess the word I'm looking for. It's a very real danger if, if something would happen to, you know, impact um, food production, food imports, yeah. um, even a little bit, you know, I mean, because like 60% of it is relying on imports. If something happens to those imports, even if something happens like 20% of those imports, it's a huge issue, you know. So one of the first things is food security. Um, mm. You know, rice is easy to store. Right, so it's just store. stored in huge factories in, along Tokyo Bay. And, um, you know, like if you're starving, Japanese people probably eat medium grain in that, and under that scenario, I suppose, right, like right. if there's nothing else to eat, yeah, they'd probably eat the war medium grain period. then. Yeah, exactly. If they're at war, they'll eat the medium grain, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you're totally ahead of me. The other one, the other things it's actually often used for is food aid. I think my understanding is that they have to get permission from oh, the WTO from, yeah, um, in order to release mounts as food aid. Right. But at the same time, I don't know that they've ever been denied because right. that would be kind of hard. Kind of we want to send this food aid to this country that's having a famine. No, they have to starve. Right. <laughs> I think that would be kind of difficult to, to do. Justify. So, yeah, it very often is used as food aid whenever you need to send food aid to, you know, in the Philippines or, or you know, Indonesia or... North Korea or whoever else is having a food crisis and Japan is sending food aid too. Mm. Yeah, you can use that imported stuff that nobody wants to eat. Like, cool. Anyway, so in regards to the TPP, getting back to that, it seems like what they did, they, it doesn't appear that the U.S. originally wanted, apparently, well, wanted the tariffs, and then secondly, if they couldn't get that, wanted, according to this article, 215,000 more tons uh, per year, especially of medium grain, but I'm not sure if that was necessarily all going to be medium grain. Increase that quota, you know. So from 10 to 215, good luck at you. <laughs> well, I think that, it was, right? I, that might have been the overall number. Oh. I'm not sure how much of that was supposed right. to be medium grain, but from up on, from the 770, 770. Up, up another 215. Plus 215 yeah. Which is sort of weird because, like, the Japanese population is starting to contract. Like, yeah. like gonna you're, you're going to increase the quotas, right? Like, if anything, food consumption should be going down, especially since newer, you know, younger generations are eating less rice compared to older generations. I'm mean, still eating a lot of rice, obviously, but uh, compared to older generations, are eating less rice, and then it's also getting to be less of them. Like, it's sort yeah. of silly to start pushing more quotas of food, you know? Like, mm. I mean, technology products are something okay, but, like, food? Like, that's kind of, like, the, the calorie consumption of Japan is going to go down as the population goes down. And, um, guess they didn't get that either. Um, what appears to have happened is they got um, 
another, I think it's 50,000, I guess. Or I think it might have been 50, I'm not sure if it's 50,000 total or an additional 50,000 of the 770 switched into medium, medium. or whatever. Uh. So they shifted some of this already quota. So it doesn't appear like the quota has increased, mm. but they want it. A bit more medium, which would favor the U.S. because right. most of that's coming from the U.S. I mean, most of the rice imports coming from the U.S. Anyways, certainly the stuff that's not short grain is um, mainly. I mean, technically all of the countries in the TPP would have a shot at it, but um, that so that would favor the U.S. But at the same time, it seems like Japan more or less got its way since the tariff stays, and they don't appear to have increased the quota at all. Only adjusted the, you know, insides of it. It's one of those things where it's just, you know, it's basically just Japan paying money to the U.S. to satiate them, you know? Yeah, basically. It's like, buy this stuff. We don't want it. We'll buy it anyway. Fine, we'll buy it and throw it in the sewer, you know? (laughs) Like, are you happy now? Yeah, we sold it. We're very happy. (laughs) It's such a weird thing, you know? It's like, nobody wants it. Oh, we don't care. Also, one of the other things I saw in this article that I haven't really seen elsewhere is that there's, apparently Japan also got some uh, including with like the the pork and beef tariff reductions, they got some different um, guarantees that um, I guess there's some you know fine print in the TPP supposedly that would allow them to reintroduce tariffs if it does uh, affect domestic. Yeah, if it is production. causing undue harm on domestic industries, uh, uh, then they can you know reintroduce like emergency tariffs or whatever. So hmm. if things do start to look sour, you know they're not entirely. Up, up, up a creek. Up shit creek, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 they do have, you know, permission Some, even within yeah. there. I mean, of course, worst Some case scenario, of course, you can just leave the TPP, obviously. Right. Um, but even without going that far, uh, it seems like there there is a possibility to reintroduce tariffs if things actually look sour. So that was things. That's something you don't often see. That I mean, it's kind of a weird situation. It's not often talked about, I don't think, in the Western press. So Japan is forced to import a bunch of rice. It don't want. <laughs> I mean, isn't that strange? Seems strange to me. But yeah, it's it's pretty pretty strange that they they make Japan import rice, and make them import things that they don't want at, at all. I wonder if other countries have similar things, like like people involved in NAFTA, or does Mexico have to import a bunch of food it doesn't want? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I mean, I'm not that knowledgeable about non-Japan related things right. but Mexico I wouldn't be surprised to, like, if import a right. bunch of maple syrup from Canada like, <laughs> yeah, right. to be in there anymore. yeah right right it's like yeah, your maple syrup imports them. yeah I, I have no idea I wouldn't be surprised I mean I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's also you know similar setups with other countries I mean I would be surprised if Japan was the only country with any kind of import you know quota I guess it's just a thing they do Seems very unfree trade to me, frankly. Yeah, but it seems kind of strange. It's weird that you have to buy this stuff. And it's like, I mean, because it's so strange because it's like a government mandate to buy it, you know? So right. it's like, if you, if it's like the whoever's selling it, you know, like, you know, U.S. rice exporters or whatever, don't even have to, like, try and sell the stuff to Japanese consumers because they know that the government has to buy it. Yeah, at least, least to this quota, they're yeah. like guaranteed that certain amount of sales. Anyway, I mean, it just kind of ties back it's into weird. the subsidies you're talking about. Like, yeah, they know they're going to get these subsidies. So, like, even if they wouldn't normally be able to get in the black yeah. with their the way they produce things, they do with the subsidies. Even if they wouldn't normally be able to sell the amount of rice that they needed to 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 stay in the black, they at least know the Japanese government has to buy it. Yeah. Well, I don't think I had anything else on the TPP. Anything else about the TPP? Let me see. 
No. That's pretty much all I have regarding Japan that's that I have anything to say of on that's available so far. Uh, like I said, it's still all very very hush hush, so if more things develop, I guess I'll have more to say, but until like the text is released and we get more information. But as it stands now, basically, um the summary seems to be that, you know, the US has pushed for time and Japanese trade negotiators tend to be pretty good, and they seem to have mostly gotten their way. Yeah. Uh, they got tariffs cut, you know, on the U.S. end, and have more access to U.S. markets, and they'll be in the TPP for the other, you know, emerging markets in South Asia and South America, and uh, don't really much damage the domestic industries anyway, so... Yeah. Alright, so, as I predicted, that kind of went on a while. So let's have one more article to okay, one wrap things up. One last, up. not even article, but one last little news point, just to hit a little video game news, so we can have a lighter point to end on. Um, this is kind of making the rounds a little bit. Uh, GoldenEye 007 is a pretty famous yeah. game for N64. Right. You know, it was one of the big N64 titles back in the day. We were playing at my local Walmart a lot. Uh, <laughs> the, like, uh, you know, test display thing, you know, the, uh, the yeah. little seller thing. Right. Uh, I played that section. and Star Fox 64 on that a lot. Yeah, in the video game section, you know. So, I never had an N64, but, you know, I played it there. It's not really here nor there. Uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's not a Japanese game either. I had N64, but, but I didn't have 007, if that, <laughs> if that makes you feel any better. Yeah. It's not a Japanese game either, but it's in a little bit of a, a recent uh, news thing there. We had... Um, uh, the developer, I'm not sure exactly who was, former producer, I guess the, the guy was the producer of it, Martin Hollis. Uh, there's a little article making the rounds where he had a couple of quotes of uh, uh, Miyamoto, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto, the you know, godfather of Nintendo. Some of the comments they got from, he got from him about this, you know, first-person shooter oh. being on a Nintendo thing. You know, right. Nintendo's generally had a pretty... Don't be Family too violent. Friendly, Standards, yeah, kind of exactly. Kind so of that image. was the main sort of you know Genesis Super Nintendo thing is you can have a lot more you know gore and violence on a Genesis because mm. you know Sega was okay with that, whereas Nintendo was very exactly trying to be family family entertainment system here. So and um, so it's kind of unusual to have a first person shooter like that, mm. you know. But apparently they they did apparently because of Miyamoto had to tone down the violence and, and oh, yeah. the gore mm. especially. And uh, apparently one of the, the thing that's really making this make the rounds is one of his suggestions was he thought it was, um, now this is, you know, secondhand. This is Harris, saying, or sorry, Hollis, saying what Miyamoto said to him. And it says here, uh, second point is he felt the game was too tragic with all the killing. He suggested that it might be nice if, at the end of the game, you got to shake hands with all your enemies in the hospital. <laughs> so you didn't kill them, you just like, sent them Yeah, to the like you just injured them or something, and then you all kind of made up in the hospital afterwards. Everyone was just injured. <laughs> no one actually it's died. It's kind of cute. It's like, it's what was he, like a 30, 40-year-old Japanese it's... guy supposedly telling some other probably yeah. 30, 40-year-old dude? Yeah, because like... he wouldn't even have been as old as he is now then. Right. Being like, hey, they should all like shake hands in the end, so everyone knows they're okay. Okay. That's really funny. Yeah, in like a in a in a James in a Bond, James Bond like, like do you really not watch any James <laughs> Bond films before this game came out across his desk here? Like, exactly. Have you ever like has he had he ever seen a James Bond film? Maybe not. I did already just finish saying uh, the Japanese film industry is way bigger than Hollywood, so 
<laughs> you know, he might not have. But yeah, I thought that was funny because, right, a lot of people think it's funny because it's kind of cute. But I also thought it's funny because when I think about it, that kind of actually is how the end of, you know, one of Japan's big shooter franchises is. If I think of, you know, a game I did play a lot, House of the Dead. Oh, yeah. The end sequences of House of the Dead are actually often very much like that. Like, they're very kind of dark and certainly violent, yeah. you know. But usually, on kind of a lighthearted credit sequence thing, you often have the different, like, monsters and people kind of waving at the screen during the credit yeah, sequence just does. to kind of... Lighten I don't know, lighten the mood. Or give you something to watch a, during the credits? Yeah, kind of an Easter egg for having made it to the end of the game or whatever, you know? It's like, here's all these characters and stuff. It, it, they tend to be very lighthearted right. at the end, and that's, you know... And if you've ever seen those bits, things like Typing of the Dead won't be too much of a surprise to you, you know? They've always been kind of tongue-in-cheek about... Yeah, Even right. though they're pretty violent and serious in the main part of the game, they, they've never taken them that, that seriously overall you know so that actually kind of put me in mind of that too so mm. it seemed uh kind of jive, i guess kind of maybe. a japanese yeah. thing for mm. for miyamoto to have said you know yeah. i have them all shake hands at the end so there's no hard feelings right mm. i thought that was funny. good article then don yeah so if you have any questions or comments you can always write in what's where, where did they write in left for Japan at, at gmail.com. Yeah, you remembered it. I put you on the spot, but you remembered it. Yeah, so if you have any questions, comments, news items you want us to cover, uh, anything, uh, you can tell us we suck. Uh, Left for Japan, name of the podcast, at gmail.com. L-E-F-G-F-O-R-J-A-P-A-N right oh, at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Very good. Sorry for running long. Um, any final word? Haichu's pretty good. Haichu's pretty good. Try Haichu. That's all. Alright, well. Bye-bye. See you next week, hopefully. Sorry for being late. Bye. Bye.